0: Today is the feast of Jesus Christ, King of the Universe. So this feast day was started in 1925, only a century ago. So thinking of a 2,000-year-old church, it's only in the last 1,000 years, so in the last 5% of the church's history do we have this feast day of Jesus Christ, King of the Universe. Another kind of interesting facet of it is, why the universe? Why not king of heaven, or king of heaven and earth, or king of all things? Why the universe? Well, in 1925, Pope Pius XI wrote a papal letter called an encyclical on Jesus Christ, the king of the universe. 1925 is seven years after World War I has ended. Europe is devastated because of World War I and the aftermath of it. Earlier, nine years or 11 years earlier, 1916, Pope Benedict the Fifteenth wrote an encyclical during World War I called Jesus the Prince of Peace. And he was saying in that encyclical, really, there's no chance for peace until we all return to God, specifically to Jesus Christ. That Europe used to be all Christian and the rulers and leaders of Europe have thrown Christianity off. And what you get is a world war. Pope Pius XI, seven years after the war, is writing about Jesus Christ, the king of the universe, to say that he's king of all creation, which is to say he's king of the earth and of nations. By this time, Europe had gotten rid of all of the monarchies and now we're into a communist dictatorships, or we're in these kind of military junta governments, or we're into these democracies. But the Catholic monarchs are all gone now. And so this Pope, Pius XI, is reminding everyone that ultimately God created all things and has ordered all things to himself. If we forget that, then another war will come, and another war did come, World War II. So, but here's this thing. In our modern mind, we don't think of monarchies well. We think of kings as relics of the past, never to return again. The monarchies were fundamentally bad because they didn't allow us to vote and to have a share in the government kind of thing. But that's that's not what God has created. So just giving a little concept of, of God. In heaven, there's no democracy. In heaven, it's a kingship. God reigns supreme. Everyone blindly loves him and blindly follows him. Blindly. And can because he is infinitely good, infinitely knowledgeable, infinitely loving, infinitely perfect, all-powerful, etc. So, But that model of governance in the kingdom of heaven is what God means for all of his creation too. That on earth, ultimately, that the model should be a model that's modeled after heaven, that all nations would be structured into a Catholic monarchy where everyone ultimately unites the whole of their life, not just the spiritual dimension of their life, but even their material dimension of their life, even the state to God. All right. The church on earth is established as a monarchy. The Pope is a benevolent monarch. Benevolent meaning good or loving monarch at least should be in theory. The church is structured as a monarchy. If the church was a democracy, she would have disappeared 2,000 years ago. Just look at the 12 apostles. There's Jesus right there with them, and they're arguing amongst themselves who will be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and they're jockeying and all of this other stuff. And it's like, democracy's not going to work, guys. The democracy ultimately appeals to popularity. What is popular today, which may or may not be popular tomorrow or in the past, etc., And so democracy, I'm going to move on from this after this example, is what chanted crucify him, crucify him. Pontius Pilate didn't own the decision. He said, well, what do you want? And the mob said, the democracy said, we vote to kill him. Crucify him, crucify him. From the beginning, our Lord has always wanted there to be responsibility for decision making. It's how he created families with fathers, husbands and wives and fathers, And mothers to take responsibility for the things that need to be done, etc. Alright. But today, in the world, when we think of kings, we think of them as just kind of bad people. That they're like tyrants or something. But the reality is that most kings were like most of us. They were okay people. There were some kings in the history of Catholic kings, anyway, who were saints. Ditto for some Catholic queens who were saints. We would never see that in a democracy. Never are we going to see that in a democracy. There are also some who are villains and terrible, but it is what it is. But it's only those that the world would think of today. Today, we think that democracy is utterly enlightened. Although it's given us great, great moral problems and becoming ever more dysfunctional. When we do think of kings today, they might exist somewhere in the world like the king of Jordan, we think that they're distant. They're distant or we think historically they're in the past, but they're never here present. And even if we had a king in Washington, D.C., he'd still be distant, wouldn't he? It's not that he would know any of us or that we would personally know him. So kings are not people that we have kind of a, a collective idea of being close to or intimate to. Even if they were the form of government, they would still seem distant to us. Jesus is a king. He is a king. It's brought up over and over again. You read my pastor's column. The word king or kings, and I'm not even including the word kingdom, but just king or kings, is raised more than three thousand times in the Bible. It's just simply God's default setting for the way society, both the church or society and the civil society is to be structured. But Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, as the Bible says over and over again. Because Jesus is God, it does not mean that he's distant from us, like he's in Washington, D.C. or in Jordan. God is ever-present to us, always and everywhere. So this King, Jesus Christ, is an accessible King. Here he is, to my right and to my left, before me, behind me, above me, below me. In you, in the eyes of all that we're looking upon, there is God. There is the King, the King of Kings. For this kingdom that we had all desired, a perfection, right, that we won't have until heaven. For this kingdom that we desired, we would naturally kind of look outside of ourselves for. Well, where is it? But the thing about God is that he's within He's without and he's within. Meaning that the kingdom begins in me. The kingdom begins in you. That that's where the reign of Jesus Christ manifests itself. Is in me and you. And this is a very good reign. Infinitely knowledgeable, infinitely powerful, infinitely loving, infinitely good. Who wouldn't want that? In our collective minds, though, we have this idea of a king, and I would stretch it to say, a dev God, that we can't really trust a king or God. Why? I've got this little idea in my mind. I heard this on the radio. I think it was um, Focus on the Family. Is it Dobson or Dobbs or somebody like that? Anyway, I heard this thing. And I thought, that makes a lot of sense. Whoever it was speaking said that Men men seek respect while women seek love. I thought, well, that that sort of resonates for me. I think of boys becoming men and young men, etc., trying to find themselves and, you know, who am I and what's this all about. In the end, it's really self-respect. I, I want to be able to respect myself and I want others to respect me. So I'm going to pursue a career. I'm going to pursue sports or something. It's to gain some respect. I'm going to jump off this bridge so that I can prove to myself that I can respect myself. Whereas girls and girls becoming women are seeking love. I want to be loved. I want to know that I'm loved and I want to return love. Well, when we have a king, we think as men, well, he won't respect me. He doesn't even know me and then he might pass laws that, that, don't, that, that infringe upon my, my self-respect. I might respect him but he doesn't have to respect me. But what if he's God and he does? Or as a woman, he's distant. He's in Washington, D.C. He's, he's in outer space. He's God. He's, he, doesn't, he doesn't love me. He doesn't even know me. Why should I love him? Well, here's the thing. I want to also put this in here too. When a man does not feel respected, then he doesn't give love. When a woman doesn't feel loved, then she doesn't show respect. That'll really help a lot of marriages. Husbands, if you want your wife to respect you, love them. Wives, if you want your husband to love you, respect them. But there's this fear that, well, a king wouldn't be like that for me. He wouldn't respect and love me. But in our gospel today, the gospel passage of three different settings for this particular gospel, this one that's chosen as Jesus being crucified on Calvary here in Luke's gospel, God is showing the infinity of his respect and love for us in this way. Jesus says God has no beginning, he's timeless. He never began, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the one God never began, timeless. He has no ending. But 2,000 years ago, the second person of the Trinity, the Word of God, took on flesh and dwelt among us. The creator of heaven, the creator of the angels, the creator of the billions of galaxies, let alone little puny earth, would go into earth, go into a human body, and then let us kill him. To show us that I respect you so much. Even though I'm your king and your creator and your master. I respect you so much that I will let you do this to me. And I love you this much. And I love you this much. I'm not foreign. I'm not somewhere else. I'm right here. And I wish to reign in you. I wish to reign in the whole world and all of creation, and one day I will. The Lord will come again on the clouds in the future, and he will burn the earth by fire, and he will create a new heavens and a new earth, where his monarchy will reign in perfection everywhere in all of his creation, in heaven and through the universe. Until then, he wants to reign right here inside of me and inside of you. He really does. But we've got to let down our guard. We've got to stop saying, respect me or love me. He already does. And we need to start showing him the love and the respect that we need to show to him. I finish with this one little thought. The murderous thief Didymus. The two... Thieves who are being crucified next to Jesus. One on his right, the other on his left, and the one is mocking Jesus. If you're king, use your power to get us down from here. And the other one says, leave him alone. We're guilty of what we've done. He hasn't done anything, and yet they're killing him. And then the good thief says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, which always touches me. And this, the good king saves a murderous thief on his deathbed, on his cross. What an incredible king. What an incredible king. In the end, the only thing that can save us is not a democracy or a president or a strong man or any of that. In the end, the only thing that can save us is God himself, is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And today... He's asking every one of us to be his good and faithful servants, to blindly love him and to blindly respect him. And he and he alone will save us and bring bring us to himself in the everlasting kingdom where there is no more fear or suffering of any kind.